What's up, everybody? And welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. And this week, we're going to cover two upper extremity anatomy cases that cover clinical scenarios featuring high-yield radiology images. All right, so the way this works is there's a clinical scenario with a board-style question at the end of it. Before we jump in and answer the question, we're first going to go through the case, point out the relevant clinical findings, and then go through the relevant anatomy, and then use that to answer the question. This is a great musculoskeletal case, very high-yield topic for the board exams. Very likely you could see this on an anatomy exam as well. So we'll just run through the stem here, we'll run through the image, and then we'll get to the question. So a 65-year-old woman presents to the emergency room after sustaining a fall onto her left arm. So an older woman, she's falling, she has significant pain in her left arm, and her x-ray is shown to the right. I think it's pretty obvious where her pain is coming from is this fracture here. We'll talk about the image in a second. Her past medical history is only significant for osteoporosis. That's not surprising given her age, but that would also make her more susceptible to developing fractures with falls. She doesn't take any medication, so she's likely a very, either she's a relatively healthy person at 65 years old or she never goes to the doctor. Her vitals are normal heart rate, normal blood pressure, normal respirations. So she's stable according to her vitals. So let's take a look at the image here. Let's make the diagnosis. So this is, uh, as you can see, it's even indicated for you here. This is the left arm, and this is a mid-shaft humerus fracture. Here's the head of the humerus going into that glenoid uh, socket there. Here's the elbow joint here. And so it's just right here in the middle of the shaft of the humerus. So it's a mid-shaft humerus fracture. So what we're asking here is, is she, the patient, likely has which of the following motor deficits? Obviously, when someone's going to have motor deficits, it's going to be a nerve injury. So really, what the secondary question here is what nerve is being injured in this injury. And then it's really a tertiary question because once you know the nerve, then we're, they're asking you to say what deficits would they have as a result of that nerve injury. So what, which nerve is injured? So you want to think about what nerve is traveling in this region that could be affected by that. So it's going to be the radial nerve. Now let's dive right here in the anatomy. So this is a posterior view of the humerus. And as you can see here, here's that, gradi that radial groove right here where the radial nerve is traveling through. The lateral lip and then the medial lip here. These are two origin sites of two heads of the triceps muscles. So you have the radial nerve traveling very close to the humerus here. And you can see all the way here to the middle part or in the mid-shaft region. You can see that here as well. This is the same region as we're indicating here, and you can actually see that nerve traveling through that radial groove on the posterior aspect of the humerus. Now, one thing important to note here is that as the radial nerve comes around, you can see the triceps muscle here, and it's kind of cut away here to give you a good view of this radial nerve, but at the more proximal portion here of the triceps, the radial nerve is sending fibers off really just right before it enters into that radial groove. So it's giving off these fibers very early in its course in the arm to the triceps to innervate it. All right, so back to the question here. We know it's the radial nerve. And so the question's really asking, which of the following motor deficits would result from a radial nerve injury in this region? Now, with any nerve injury, it's going to be you know, really important where in the course of the nerve the injury happens, because then the deficits will occur distal to the injury. So the radial nerve, it starts up here in the brachial plexus, it travels down the arm, travels past the elbow, goes into the forearm, and then ends at the hand. And so really any of the deficits are going to be distal to this, this, portion, this region here. So let's go through the shoulder extension. 
The radial nerve, first off, doesn't really innervate any of the muscles involved in, sh in shoulder extension. That would be more so like the latissimus dorsi, which is innervated by a thoracodorsal nerve. So this answer is probably out because shoulder extension is, is okay because it's carried out by muscles with different innervation than radial nerve. And then also, these muscles are proximal to the injury site. This is going to be more, this is more so in the arm than up in the shoulder joint. And so then you go through and you eliminate other answers because this is A and B, so that must be wrong, and then all of the above must be wrong because at least one's wrong. So next you have elbow extension, and yes, the radial nerve is responsible for elbow extension because it innervates the triceps. But the thing to remember here, as we talked about with the anatomy, is that the radial nerve is, you know, it comes around here and it goes down the, uh, the spiral groove, the radial groove on the posterior aspect, and it's giving off these fibers to the triceps in this very proximal area here to innervate the triceps muscle. So by the time it's gotten down here, it's already innervated the triceps muscle. And so regardless of that, you know, even if you completely cut the, the radial nerve at this point, the radial nerve's already given off its branches to the triceps. So elbow extension is gonna still be intact because the triceps is still gonna be innervated. The rest, the deficits are gonna occur distal to the injury here. So this is okay. So that's not the answer. So then we take out B here. So we're left with C, D, or G with C and D. So we got to decide if it's one of these or both. So now we're down to wrist extension. So then we go distal to the injury here. The radial nerve is going to come down here, go past the elbow, and then go into the forearm where it's going to innervate most of the muscles responsible for wrist extension. And then as a result of that, it's also going to innervate muscles that are involved in finger extension. And so both of these are going to be effective because they're both carried out by muscles that are distal to the injury, muscles here in the forearm. So it's really going to be both of these. So the answer is G, C and D, weak wrist extension, weak finger extension. So just to reaffirm this, this, is, this will be out, this will be out, and then so the correct answer is C and D. So this is just a follow example if we were to have a radial nerve injury just below the elbow, so distal to the mid-shaft of the humerus. And so you can see that here with the red line. Now the radial nerve, it you know, crosses over the lateral epicondyle and then it splits into the deep radial nerve and then the superficial radial nerve, which runs more superficially with the radial artery, just deep to brachial radialis. The deep radial nerve pierces the supinator muscle and then it comes out as posterior interosseous nerve pin and it goes on to innervate many muscles in the extensor compartment and so this is kind of an anterior view here and you can see this superficial branch traveling just under brachial radialis like we said with the radial artery and then you see the deep branch going deep here into the extensor compartment and you can see it coming out here and going through the extensor compartment of the forearm so if you were to injure this here you're going to see deficits because it's before the bifurcation so Radial nerve, as we've shown here, comes down, it splits into deep radial nerve, then pin, and, then, and it splits into deep radial nerve and superficial radial nerve. So if, you, if it's just below the elbow, just before it bifurcates, you're going to have a sensory component with the superficial radial nerve, which is going to be this. You're going to have numb first dorsal web space. So in this kind of this region right here on the dorsal aspect, that's going to be numb because you've lost uh, innervation through the superficial radial nerve. Then you're also going to lose weak wrist extension and weak finger extension because all of these extensor compartment muscles are going to be de-innervated. De and so you'll have these two, but you'll have normal elbow extension because if you remember, like we just talked about, those fibers that come off of the radial nerve to innervate the triceps came off much more proximal, really in the proximal humerus region. So that, that is way proximal to the, to the lesion here.
This will be a quick one. This is again a great musculoskeletal injury that's very high yield for anatomy exams and board exams. So it's a good one to go through. This is a good x-ray you should be familiar with. And so we'll walk you through how to identify the injury in this, uh, this radiograph. So let's go through the case. The 25-year-old man falls on an outstretched hand and presents to the emergency department. Significant pain and swelling in his hand. So it sounds like he fell. He reached, he put his hand out to stop his fall and he landed on his hand. Very common mechanism of injury for this particular injury in the hand. So his x-ray is shown to the right. We'll go through that in a second. His hand is neurologically intact on physical exam. So what does that mean? It means there's no nerve injury. So, you know, there was no transection of the median nerve or the recurrent branch of the median nerve or the radial nerve. So all the nerves are intact. No significant past medical history. Not surprising. He's a pretty young guy. Um, so there's nothing to be noted there. And then the patient does not take any medications, which is not surprising given that he's a young guy with no significant past medical history. So which arrow indicates the area of necrosis? So before we get to that, we want to identify what is the injury here and really what each of these arrows are even pointing at so that can help us really make this question a lot easier. So first let's identify which each of these arrows are. So first you've got to look at the x-ray here. What bone is this? It's the scaphoid bone. So this would be a scaphoid fracture. So you want to ask yourself, which arrow is the fracture? And what you notice here is this change in density here. This is where the fracture is here at this yellow arrow. And it's splitting the scaphoid really about in the center into two pieces here, two segments. So the yellow arrow is the fracture. So then, really what you want to, in, in terms of a scaphoid fracture, the big thing you want to be looking for is which one's the proximal segment, which one's the distal segment. So if we look here, the radius is here, this is proximal. You can see the metacarpals are here and these are distal. So by default, the white arrow here is going to be pointing to the proximal segment of the scaphoid bone, and then the blue arrow here is going to be the distal segment. So this is the distal segment, and then this is the proximal. So let's get back to the question. Which arrow indicates the area of necrosis? So what this is asking really is, as you know, the yellow arrow is the fracture, so that's out. So it's really asking you where, which segment, is it the proximal segment or the distal segment, is going is to be at risk or at most risk for developing osteonecrosis. So really what you have to know here is you have to know the blood supply of the scaphoid bone. So you have the radial artery that comes in here like this, and then it gives off a branch to the distal segment here, and then there's no direct arterial blood supply to the proximal segment. So the way blood or nutrients get to the proximal segment is they actually diffuse just by simple diffusion through the bone to the proximal segment. Now the problem is, is if you fracture the bone there, you're cutting off, you know, you're creating a gap between the two segments so that simple diffusion cannot occur. So there's going to be no blood supply or no nutrients that are going to be able to diffuse to that proximal segment. And so then you've lost perfusion to the proximal segment, and that results in osteonecrosis. So the blue arrow is out. It's the white arrow. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you check back every Wednesday for new Da Vinci cases. And then to see the corresponding video for this audio, check out our website at dviacademy.com, where you can also find PDF notes for this audio as well. Also on our site, you can find our book and video packages for anatomy and biochemistry. You can also follow us on Instagram for weekly posts and video. And then lastly, if you have any questions about the content of this video or about DaVinci Academy, put them in the comments and our team will be sure to answer them. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.